tonight. We're in Romans chapter 8 on Wednesday nights. We're taking a look in depth from our weekend text. So, you guys been enjoying the book of Romans? We're going to focus on Romans 8.28 tonight, and also if you would put a finger in the book of Ruth, uh, we're going to be spending time in uh, the book of Ruth. I don't know about you guys, but it just seems like there's so much going on, isn't there? You know, in our, our lives personally, I know for us, the month of May was just extremely busy, and then you get into summer and you're like, oh, this is nice, but then there's all the summer plans and then our world's in chaos, you know, with all of the violence that's taking place and gas prices just keep going up and up and up and up and, well, good news, the Lord's our refuge. And we can come together as God's people, press into his presence and worship and in the word and let's pray that God encourages us tonight. Father, we thank you that you're in control that you're our dad. And as we look at this truth, that you're able to take all things and work them together for good. We choose to believe your word, not believe our emotions. As we look at the life of Ruth and, and how her life shows your, your sovereign hand, would you bring encouragement to our hearts? We, we thank you that you're our shade, that you're our refuge, you're our dwelling place. We thank you that eternity is sure. We're going home to be with you, and we pray that our lives could be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Is it really all things? Is it all things? Is it? Things like death, things like disease, things like disaster, all things. Is God able to use them for good? Does he have a plan and purpose of redemption that's bigger than ourselves? Thankfully, the answer is yes, yes, yes. And we see this illustrated in Ruth's life. So if you would turn with me to the book of Ruth, we're going to walk through uh, the book of Ruth uh, tonight we're going to read the book of Ruth the way that it was written as a story. I want to invite you to sit and listen to this story of Ruth's life to try to put yourself in her sandals, in her shoes, Naomi as well, walking through disappointment, disaster, death, and yet God was working. We also see very clearly that God's working all things together for good in Joseph's life. We talked about that previously in our study of Romans, but wanted to see this through Ruth's life. If you take this truth of God's hand being on our lives and look at so many stories throughout the Bible, you'll find it to be true. You could find it to be true in Daniel's life. You could find it to be true in Moses' life. You could find this truth to be true in Paul's life, and you can find this truth to be true in, in your life as well. So this is Ruth 1 verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, 
went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The time of the judges was absolutely brutal. The children of Israel, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and it led to absolute dismay. Absolute just chaos was in the midst of the culture of the children of Israel. On this downward, depraved cycle of idolatry, unfortunately, it's much of what we see in our culture today. In this kind of darkness can God work all things together for good. In the days of the judges, in the days when everyone's doing right in their own eyes, yes, he absolutely can. God is working in the midst of these very dark times. And here comes this famine, and there's a famine in in the land, and a certain man decides that he's going to leave Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It literally means house of bread. He's leaving house of bread because there's no bread. Bethlehem is not producing with this, this famine. So he gets his wife and his two sons and they leave to go to Moab. Now Moab is rich with biblical history because we see Lot having incest with his two daughters and his daughters get, get pregnant. Gomorrah is destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah, their home and their daughters are like, there's no more men left. We have to have relationship with our dad. They get their dad drunk. It's recorded for us in, in Genesis and Moab is born and becomes the Moabites. In Psalms 60, God talks about Moab as my wash pot, which is a nice way of saying toilet. Moab is my, is my toilet. So they were enemies of the children of Israel. They have this history in the Bible. And here, this man from Bethlehem seeks refuge in Moab because he doesn't have any food. There, there's famine. In verse 2, now the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malion and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. What's it like to be a refugee? What's it like to be a foreigner? What's it like to move to a land where you don't know the language? What was it like for Elimelech to try to find a job? They lived all of that being displaced. So famine, being displaced. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now she is a widow in this foreign land, in this foreign country, vulnerable and in need. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about 10 years recover, try to recover from the death of her husband. Her boys get married. Life continues. They're enduring for about 10 years. Then both Malion and Chilion also died. So the women survived. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. How much tragedy can come upon one woman? She buries her husband. She buries her two sons in this foreign land. Then she arose with the daughters-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Good news comes from Bethlehem. The famine's over. God has visited them with bread. So she decides 
that she's going back to Bethlehem. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go and return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in his own house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So she sends them back saying, you've been good to me, you've been kind, but I want you to go back to Moab. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. This was customary. It was even according to the law of Deuteronomy 25, is that if you do died, that then the next son was to take the wife. If the husband passed away, she's like, I, I'm not going to have any more sons. Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if you should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? She's like, this is ludicrous. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I want you to pay attention to that. From Naomi's perspective, she is not thinking, well, God's going to work all things together for good. She's not focusing on the character of God. If God is for me, who can be against me? Her conclusion is, well, God's, God's against me. And maybe that has been your conclusion in your heart and mind. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. I think this is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. That you see a daughter-in-law wanting to stay with her mother-in-law. <laughs> God had done something here in this, this relationship. This is more than her wanting to be with Naomi, which is absolutely true, but she wants the God of Israel. She wants the one true God. Naomi has emphasized that Orpah has gone back to her gods, and Ruth is saying, no, I want your God to be my God, and I want to care for you, and I want to walk with you in this road of suffering. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. So Naomi gets the point and allows her to come. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they'd come to Bethlehem that all of the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi. Ten years. Here comes Naomi. This is a small town. Bethlehem's small town just outside of Jerusalem, about five miles. Generations upon generations growing up, living in Bethlehem. Is this Naomi? They're all excited that she's come back. 
But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara literally means bitter. Naomi means pleasant. So she was born in Hebrew culture. You waited to name your kids until they're born. So Naomi was born and mom and dad are like, oh, aren't you pleasant? We're calling you Naomi. And she comes back and she's like, no more of this pleasant garbage. I'm bitter, so just call me Mara. So she's very upfront with where she's at with this loss that she's experiencing in her life. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth and the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, were with her who returned from the country of, of Moab. For they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. God is taken away. God's taken away her husband. God's taken away her, her two sons. And in her mind, in her perspective, she can't imagine that God would ever fill her hands again. That there would be this story of redemption. She truly feels abandoned by God. One of the things that I love about the book of Ruth is Naomi is not processing this right. She's allowed bitterness to get a hold of her soul and bitterness against the Lord. But God in his grace brings kindness upon Naomi and Ruth. God in his grace doesn't abandon them. Have you ever found in your life that God has been faithful when you're faithless? That he continues to work this story of, of redemption even when we don't respond the way that we should. We all pray and hope for the Job response, don't we? The Lord gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Naomi didn't have that response, but God was faithful and continued to work all things together for good. There's a little bit of hope here at the end of chapter one. It's barley harvest. There's been a famine but they've been able to plant and now they're ready to harvest some barley. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now why this is important that he's a relative is because of the truth of the kinsman redeemer. It was the responsibility of the closest kin to, to marry the widow. So Ruth the Moabitess, notice she's got this tag everywhere she goes. She stands out as the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean of grain after him in whose, in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. I love the initiative of Ruth. There's not a lot she can do. Her husband's dead. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. But she understands this principle of the kingsman redeemer understands that they're relatives and she asks can I go glean in the field in times of hardship especially go labor in the field and see what God's going to do because everything inside of us says man I just want to give up I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pack it in and Ruth shows tremendous character that I think God really blesses when times are difficult to say God give me strength I have opportunity to go in this field and labor, and I'm going to be faithful to do that and see what you would do. So verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered and said, the Lord bless you. In the law, God said, this portion of your field, you need to leave for the poor. And the poor have the opportunity to to come and harvest. So God being generous to the poor, but also honoring the dignity of the poor, where they get the opportunity to work instead of just receiving the free handout. It's a great plan where it's generous, caring for the need of the poor, but also honoring their dignity. So here she is. That's what she's doing. She's going to this section of the field that had been left for the poor. And here comes Boaz, and he says, the Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. Wouldn't you love that if that's how your your boss said good morning to you every day? Hey, the Lord be with you. And you're like, hey, the Lord bless you, man. Then Boaz said to his servants, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? He, he notices she's not normally here. This is someone who, who is new. What's her background? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answers and says, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. So he says, I don't want you to go glean in any other field. I want you to stay in my field and I want you to be close with my young women who are out reaping the harvest. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Officer protection goes to the young men, says don't mess with Ruth. Officer water Hey, go get yourself water anytime. Free refills, right? God begins working. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? She understands her position as a Moabite, as a foreigner. And Boab answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Her reputation in the small town of Bethlehem has has gotten around. Be a person of character. Be a, a person of faithfulness. And God uses that. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You've really taken refuge in the Lord. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread. Now now he's inviting her to the table. Not just inviting her to the field and extending her protection, but, but inviting her to the table and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers 
And he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. She's saving some for Naomi. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Just, just let her go wherever she wants to be able to glean. So it came to pass in the process of time. Oh, I turned too far in my Bible. I'm in First Samuel. Back to Ruth. Verse 16, also let the grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So give her extra. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about the ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young women until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you may go out with the, his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz, to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So she's faithful. She's faithful. She continues to labor in Boaz's field while things heat up in chapter 3. Are you with me? Yeah? All right, Sherman. <laughs> then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? What she means by security is as a husband, a marriage. In this time, there's no life insurance. And for her to really be secure, it would be for her to be remarried. Now, Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So he's out taking care of his wheat separating the wheat from the chaff. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. That's some wisdom, right? Like, don't make your request until he's nice and full. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall... Go in, uncover his feet, and lie down until he tell you what you should do. Now, this seems very strange to us. This seems very odd to us. But he's sleeping out in the porch. He's sleeping out kind of in the barn, if you would, where they thresh uh, the wheat. And by doing this, she is making it very clear that I want to come under your covering. Would, would you marry me? Would you be my, my kinsman redeemer? And you've probably figured this out at this point in the story is Boaz points to Christ. Boaz pictures Christ. Why is it that 
God set it up that a close relative would be the kinsman redeemer that would marry the, the widow. Because in order for Christ to redeem us, he had to come in human flesh. God in human flesh to pay the price for us to be redeemed. Ruth is in a place of absolute need. And spiritually, we're in a place of absolute bankruptcy. We can't save ourselves. We need God's grace and God's forgiveness. And as Ruth comes to Boaz and says, would you be my kinsman redeemer? Would you be my covering? We come to Jesus. Jesus, would you be my redeemer? One of the aspects of salvation is declaring Jesus as Lord. Where he becomes our Lord, he becomes our master, where we understand, I want to be covered by you. I want you to lead me, guide me, direct me. I'm ready to take my marching orders from you. In verse 5, and she said to her, all that you shall say to me, I will do. So Ruth says, okay, this is a good plan. I'm going to approach Boaz in this manner. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Maybe he felt his feet get tickled a little bit. You know, it's like, man, the blanket's off of my my feet. And turned himself and there a woman was lying at his feet. That would be quite the surprise, right? And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for your close relative. This is a proposal. Will you marry me? Coming from Ruth. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you didn't go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. So he says, yep, I'm, I'm a close relative, but there is a kinsman redeemer that's even a closer relative. Stay this night in the morning. It shall be that if we perform the duty of a close relative for you good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So he says, look, if the closest relative is willing to marry you, then okay. But if not, then I will marry you. So she lay at his feet until morning. No kind of compromise here. She's laying at his feet. And she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. One of the reasons that I think that Boaz requests for her to stay right there is for her safety. You know, for her to to leave and to to go back to Naomi in the dark. It it seems to be not the safest of environment from prior chapter of having to tell the young men to, to not touch her. Verse 15, also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she has held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. So blesses her with barley. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, 
These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. I don't know if you're catching this, but Naomi's tune starts to change as we continue in the story. Even from the first day that Ruth went to Boaz's field, she's starting to to warm up. Her heart's starting to, to soften a bit. Now Boaz went out to the gate. Now the gate was where all the leaders would meet, where they would come into the city. We've got some ancient ruins of gate. And this would be a a place where all of the elders were gathered and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. Isn't that classic? Hey, friend, (coughs) come, come, sit down. (coughs) When he's actually got something very serious to talk about. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. It's getting serious. Now there's 10 of the elders. Then she came, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for their is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So far, so good. This is just the purchase of the land. This is a real estate deal. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is great. I got the opportunity to purchase this, this land that Elimelech sell, sold when he left, and I want this, this land. He's like, for sure, I'll buy back uh, this land. Boaz is crafty. He's a, he's a good negotiator. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. It's not just the land. You've got to take Ruth as well. And any children that you have need to be in Elimelech's name to keep his name going. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I'll ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He's probably already married. It's like, this is not going to go over with the wife too well. I mean, what if he comes back from Bethlehem and he's like, I got some land and a second wife. Uh, No, you didn't, right? So he's like, I'm out. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. So they, instead of shaking on it, you swapped Chacos or Birkenstocks. So one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and the people, You are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malion's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malion, I have acquired as my wife 
to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among all of his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witness this day. So the name of Elimelech, Chilion and Melion is going to continue because Boaz and Ruth are going to get married. Any kids that they have would carry on Elimelech's name. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whose Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. This is an amazing blessing and prophecy that is spoken over this marriage because when you read Matthew chapter 1, Tamar is in the lineage of Jesus. Judah had relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Totally sinful relationship, but God was gracious and included Judah and Tamar in his lineage. And this blessing ultimately is fulfilled when Ruth is included in the lineage of Christ as well. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. Oh, his, his name's going to be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life, notice this, and a nourisher of your old age. Hmm. God works all things together for good. Could God use this little baby, this grandbaby, this baby boy, to be a restorer of life and a nourisher to Naomi? Absolutely. Naomi thought all was lost. There was no good coming her way. She was bitter, and she wanted to let everybody know as quick as possible, don't try to get any smiles out of me. This is done. Door closed. But God in his grace, God in his redemption, God in his kindness brings Boaz, a picture of Jesus. They get married, and now she's, she's holding this grandson, I'm sure she thought she would never have a grandson. I'm sure she thought the name of her husband would not be carried on. And this was so important to the Jews, so important to the nation of Israel. Their land was given to them by God and would be passed on through the generations. And you may be in a place where there's been tremendous loss in your life. Try to process the loss that Naomi has gone through. She lost her home. She had to leave Bethlehem. She loses her husband. She loses her two sons. There's not much more loss that you can go through in this life. And she's thinking it's all done, but God is still working and he's going to bring comfort. And he brings it through this little baby that she, she's holding. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has bore him. She's got to give herself some credit here. She's like, I know your sons are dead, but I'm better to you than seven sons. 
Verse 15, and may he be, or verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Now, pay attention, this this is where it gets really good. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, So Obed, their son, who was born to Ruth and Boaz, is the grandfather of who? David. David. And David is in the lineage of Christ. David wants to build God a house, wants to build God a temple. And initially, Nathan the prophet says, yes. God comes back and says, no, David, you can't build me a temple because you're a man of war, too much blood but I want to build you a house. God says, I want to build you a house, David, and your descendants are going to be on the throne forever. And this is fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus comes through the lineage of David. Well, David comes from who? David comes from Ruth and from from Boaz. This is God working all things together for good according to his purposes. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. Only God can write this good of story. Amen? I mean, this is so beautiful, God's redemption. Also understanding for the children of Israel at the time of Jesus when he was born with their genealogies, that was a big deal and they wouldn't include women's names in the genealogy. But yet in Christ's genealogy, there's four women's names that are listed and we've hit two of them in our text. Tamar, who played the prostitute. Ruth, who is a Moabitess. The Moabites start from from incest. God could have put anybody that he wanted in the genealogy of his son. You would think the genealogy of God's son would be perfect, right? Impeccable. But God, even from the birth of his son with the genealogy of Christ, is a message of grace, is a message of redemption, that he came to save sinners. He is coming into this world through broken people to save broken sinners. So I think one of the best ways to learn is through story. There's nothing like stories. And in our lives, we're going to be tested on this truth that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you may get displaced. You might find yourself having to move. It seems like people are moving all over the place right now for one reason or another. And you may be in the midst of that. God works all things together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We might experience famine. We might experience hard times economically. That's going to test if we believe that God works all things together for good. Man, it tests us when we're at the pump. It's hard to say Romans 8.28 when you're filling up, isn't it? Right? death, bearing a child, bearing a spouse. All things work together for good to those that love God or are called according to his purpose. That, that is so difficult. 
And in these times of loss and difficulty and transition, it's hard to go labor in the field. It's hard to get up each day and say, Lord, well, you've allowed me to do this work in the field, but God's moving. It's the time of the barley harvest. Jesus is our Boaz. We want to put ourselves under his covering. Definitely in eternal life, good is coming. Maybe we'll be able to look back on this life and see the tapestry and see how God was working in this beautiful masterpiece that he was making. But many times also in this life, God is taking difficulty and using it for us to long for eternity, but also using it in the here and now. We're able to look back and we're able to say, Lord, you worked all things together for good. This was difficult. This was hard. But it wasn't outside of your control. It wasn't outside of your sovereignty. Who's really in control? I think most of us would go, God. God's in control. He's on the throne. Well, if he's on the throne, then that means he's the master painter. He's the powerful poet. And he's writing a story. You're his, his workmanship. What if Naomi would have gave up somewhere along the way? What if she would have decided, it's just too much. I'm going to commit suicide. I'm going to cash in the, the, the chips. Well, she would have missed out on that little grandbaby. And I wish that in times where we're overwhelmed and people are thinking about taking their own life and they choose to take their own life, they would look a little bit further and they might miss out on a marriage that God had intended for them. They may miss out on, on kids that God intended for them that would never be born and brought into this world. You don't know what God's going to do. He's amazing at taking tragedy and being able to intertwine Jesus into it. That's what the book of Ruth is all about. God is intertwining Jesus intertwining the ultimate redeemer. And what if God can take the tragedy and trial and difficulty, and he absolutely can, and he can weave in Jesus in the midst of that. Where we know Jesus in a greater way, we understand him in a greater way, and then other people are able to see a beautiful portrait of Christ. We're able to read the book of Ruth and see a beautiful portrait of Christ. And what if others are able to observe our life and observe tragedy in our life and they see a masterpiece of Christ, only God. So all things, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, only you can do this. You're awesome. You're you're amazing to take tragedy, to take difficulty, to take sin and brokenness, and you, Jesus, to come, our kinsman redeemer, God in human flesh. And Jesus, we want to be under your covering this evening. You're our Lord. Thank you for saving us. And we can't see it, but we believe it in faith that you're using trial, you're using difficulty to paint the picture of Christ in our hearts, in our lives, to be seen by an unbelieving world. So as we take communion, would you minister and encourage our hearts in Jesus' name, amen.